We're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar have been informed that you putt on top of the mirror. The mirror's not in front of you. Yeah, Eric's like always listening. normal mirrors. Normally when you're using a mirror, it's in front of you, right? <laughs> yes. See what you're doing? Not in this case. Not with the putting aid. Try anyway, it out. We'll try it out one day. I'll have to find a very flat beer in order to do that. Uh, let's bring in our next guest who's been reporting on a variety of things here with under a week to go before the, I guess it's a week exactly before the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. Shohei Otani trade, Tim Anderson trade. We'll see. We'll talk to John Morosi about it. MLB Network Insider. Good morning, John. Good morning, my friends. Uh, you brought us into this segment with uh, with Anthony Rizzo's mm-hmm. new walk-up music. Yeah, it what worked out for him. has changed everything i'm the only one i think in this conversation who doesn't know what that is so uh enlighten us what is what is the walk-up music john it was one of the most played songs in north america that we just heard from taylor swift justin he doesn't know much i don't don't know well well, okay taylor swift now okay so so uh so there's a really popular musician in america now she's killing her name is eh? taylor swift okay okay And so, and now, now I'll admit this, Justin. I, I am, I am not objectively not a cool person. However, I do have three daughters. Mm-hmm. Hence, I am familiar with with all of Taylor's repertoire. <laughs> and uh, I, and not only not only do I have three daughters who love Taylor Swift, my wife also loves Taylor Swift. So when it, the the right now I'm You're speaking to you from Chicago, You're where I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready Swift. to. Well, I am. I am exactly. So, like, I'm I'm in Chicago for White Sox Cubs. I, I've I've had a baseball week. Just got back from Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. The minute I step through the door back in Michigan, I'm back in Swiftyville, and that's where I'll be for the for the duration of the time that I'm home. That's that's just how it goes. So yeah, Rizzo changed his song to "Ready for It" uh, by Taylor Swift. He goes four for four on the day with a home run. It's like mm. best game of the year, and he's asked about it afterwards, and he's like, "Well, you know, she's killing it for the economy, and she's the she's the moment, and it worked for him. So that's why we did play it, Justin. So welcome to society. well done, Alish. Exactly. You there you go. Thank I you. mean, uh, <laughs> the the, the uh, there might be some pressure on you there, John. I mean, I understand that tickets are very expensive. Mm. Are are you going to be able to, you know, take the Swiftyville to actual Swiftyville <laughs> one day? Is that already happened? I mean, that's a pretty so, big investment. So there, so there, there's a great question. So, uh, true story. Uh, my my wife and elder two daughters. Yes, that they, they went they went to the show in Detroit wow. uh, in June, mm-hmm. and uh, and they had an amazing time. It was. Uh, I'll tell you what. It was. It was pretty remarkable. We. Uh, I, I asked one of my friends. I said, "Can you help? Can you help me with tickets?" And uh, basically, the response was, "I will do my best." But to be honest, John, this is harder than the Super Bowl. <laughs> but but it all it all worked out. Uh, Alexis and my two older daughters were able to go. And then that was uh, fittingly within within two days later, we were in Grand Bend, Ontario, and loving it. So oh, that, yeah. was, uh, that was that was. Big couple days for the Morosi family. All right. Well, uh, the only other person that can sell at stadiums like Taylor Swift is Shohei Otani. And I know yes. you've been on the beat. Great transition, by the way. Thank well you very done. Much. Well Appreciate transition. it, everybody. I'm, I'm on the ball this morning, just like you are. What's the latest on our guy, Shohei Otani, as we approach one week to the trade deadline? So it's obviously the big question in baseball right now, Ailish. And uh, interestingly, the Angels now four and a half games back of a wild card berth. 
after the Jays win last night. So the Jays win actually influencing uh, a bit of the Shohei market. Uh, and they have a chance the Jays do directly to influence uh, based on how they play against the Angels this weekend. Uh, I, I was told by a source yesterday that, they, that the Angels are still working through scenarios. They're still open-minded to moving him if the circumstances are right. Uh, but they want to wait until after the Tigers series and the Jays series before making a decision. But I, the, the irony is uh, I, I do believe that by the time the Angels leave, or at least by the time they play their last inning on Sunday at, at Rogers Center, they'll have a pretty good idea of what their direction is going to be. Uh, it, it's certainly – or at least their willingness, their true willingness, ultimately to make this trade. Because you're not going to, you're not just going to wake up on August first and decide. Well, based on what happened Monday night, we're going to trade them or not. They're they're going to take this week of games and really have a serious conversation about where they are. I, I do believe that if all things are equal, owner Artie Moreno wants this team to compete for a playoff berth and stay in this thing. Uh, but if if the next week is just maybe three and three or worse. I I think that the chances of a trade are legitimate. And as I mentioned yesterday, some of the teams that are involved are not the obvious ones. It's the Orioles and the Diamondbacks teams that are not necessarily in there to sign them long-term, but that have a chance uh, at them now and, and what extraordinary value it would be to have him be part of uh, your lineup and to make a run at 60 home runs. And Oh, by the way, help out your rotation too. The the one word of caution that I think works. I mean, one of other factors that work against a trade right now is that he has not been in top pitching form lately. And that is, that's a concern when half of his value, when half of the, unique uh, once in an era, once in a lifetime player value is, is not really functioning as it normally would. He's had to have additional days of rest. There was the fingernail blister issue. He just, he hasn't pitched that well. The the last three starts are the most runs he's given up in any three start stretch of his entire season. So it's not ideal from the angels perspective to trade him at this point when you're not really sure how often or how well he's going to be able to pitch in the final two months. So that's, that is the big question, Ailish and, and Justin. And, and uh, he has only one more start. As you know, it's going to be in Toronto before the deadline. So uh, I would say get your popcorn and uh, lock in on that start because, uh, you know, what an interesting start it's going to be because it's, it's, in a, 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 it's in a tough venue to pitch traditionally against a good lineup. It's going to be a big test. So I, I think that, that start's going to tell us a lot about where Shohei is at on the mound, at least. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of baseball fans conflicted that night because you need to see him pitch well, maybe, for the, the deal to go down. But if he pitches well, the Angels might win. So uh, I guess that's a bit of the <laughs> conundrum at this point. But you, you, you raise a good point. I mean, the name value alone is co- sort of transcended the actual conversation or play on the field. Like, it's like, oh, it's Otani. It's, it's the greatest player that's maybe ever walked on a baseball field. Uh, of course you have to make that. But if he's not pitching well, but you're right, it does uh, decrease the value. Of course, we're watching the Dodgers uh, this week because the Blue Jays are at Dodgers Stadium for a three-game set. 
And they're the team that's been, I guess, linked the most with Shohei Otani, but it's more so down the line rather than right now. Is that just where the Dodgers, the, the advantageous position they're in, where they just save their bullets because, yeah, they'd like to have Shohei Otani right now, I suppose. They could be a World Series contender this year with Shohei, maybe even without Shohei. But does it just make more sense for them to just wait this out and uh, engage in discussions when all they have to do is throw money at them? Well, it's a really interesting question, and and the Dodgers, uh, first of all, the reason why they're in such a good position, it's is maybe threefold. Number one, they're in the region that he's already comfortable living and playing in. That's number one. Number two, they're a perennial winner, which is quite the opposite of what he's endured with with the Angels in terms of their long playoff drought and never making the playoffs with Shohei there. And number three is they've got the most top 100 prospects of any organization in the sport. And, and when you can really, it's, it's just, it's unprecedented almost to have a a payroll that high and, and that amount of talent, but then also the amount of young talent refreshing constantly and, and, and there to sustain you for the long term. That's why it's such a good sales pitch for them this winter. Now here's what, here's an ironic point to make. If if they want Otani for the long term, one of the more unique strategies they could take right now is to not trade for Otani, but to trade for Nolan Arenado to make themselves even better on the field. Because Arenado uh, and Alden Gonzalez of, of ESPN has been all over this. Uh, Nolan has been someone that they've wanted for a long time. Uh, he's from that area, not far from L.A., grew up a Dodger fan. So he's he's there in their backyard, and if if they can pull off a trade for for Nolan, and then they say to Shohei, "Hey, look, we've got Nolan Arenado playing third base. We're going to be even better than you thought." Um, it just makes the overall package even better. So uh, I I do think to be clear, I, I really believe the Angels, if if the best offer was from the Dodgers, that they would trade with the Dodgers. Uh, but uh, it remains to be seen if the Dodgers are willing to go to that extent. But uh, I, I do think it's going to be a fascinating time uh, here in the days ahead. Yeah, all eyes on this Tigers and Blue Jays series. We could play spoiler. Or we could play uh, assistant uh, yeah. to a team, maybe landing Shohei Otani after this weekend. Uh, we spent a lot of time, obviously, talking about Shohei with you over the last weeks, months. Um, but take him away from the list. Who's the second hottest name on the trade list? Like I almost feel bad for anyone else that's going to be moved this off or this trade deadline because they're not getting much publicity, but who are some other big names that we should keep an eye on after Shohei Otani? Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that, Ailish, because it, it, it's an important question. And, and actually this year's deadline, I know some have said, well, I'm not so sure who's going to move. I, I disagree. I think it's going to be a really active trade deadline. I, I start in, Chicago and and Cody Bellinger, who's had a tremendous year. I think he's got a lot of value, uh, whether he goes to the Twins uh, or elsewhere. I I do believe that Bellinger has has got a lot of value right now. And, of course, his teammate Marcus Stroman. You've got, uh, again, one of the reasons why I'm in Chicago now is just just to see these players that are uh, likely to be moved. And I I think that on the White Sox side, you've got Giolito, you've got Lance Lynn, you've got Tim Anderson. Uh, I I do think that the Cardinals – with Arenado, if, if he's if he's truly out there, and, and I think they would at least listen, then then he's right there 
after Shohei as being the best guy. I mean, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. I just, I just got back from Cooperstown, and uh, he's on his way. Ten gold gloves, uh, a very worthy successor to Scott Rowland as a third baseman in the Hall. So I, I do think Nolan, uh, if, if he's truly available, is someone to watch. And then with the Tigers, uh, Michael Lorenzen was an all-star this year. I'm I'm about... 70% sure he's going to get traded. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is, is, is in the mix to be moved to, and he's someone that's been uh, a dominant pitcher when healthy this season. So th- there's there's a lot of really good names there, Yelich, and I'm, I'm glad you shined a light on that because sometimes we, we tend to just uh, – uh, it's like watching the, the kindergarten soccer game and, and the ball is Shohei, and we're all just running around uh, trying to trying to swarm around Shohei, but there's actually a lot of great storylines happening that – I think are uh, are really worthy of our attention as well. Which may play into the hands of those who are not involved in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes, which right. might include the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, you mentioned Tim Anderson there. You mentioned Tim Anderson on fan drive time, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, does he make sense to you when it comes to the Blue Jays and what they're trying to do before the deadline? He really does because he can play second base. Uh, he can move around the diamond a little bit for you, and he makes contact. And I, I think that as you look at the the latter part of the year, he brings a similar at-bat and approach to what Whit Merrifield does. And obviously Whit was an all-star and had a huge role in the in the decisive inning last night along with Dalton Varsha, which is great for Dalton to have that moment. But I, I think that with what Tim does, he can play second base for you, which expands your options of how you utilize Whit. You know, if, if Anderson's there playing second, then, then Whit is going to play more the outfield. Uh, and expand that option for you. Uh, I think Tim Anderson, you know, the, the full season numbers are not good, and they're not going to be good because he just struggled for a long time. But he's been a lot better since the break, and he still has really good bat-to-ball skills. And and I'm a believer that the the bigger the games now at this time of year is when you need someone that just puts the ball in play and, and can move the line and can move a runner and Tim does that. So he played second base for Team USA at the WBC, so he's got some recent experience in that regard. Uh, I, I think whoever gets Tim Anderson, whether it's the Jays, maybe the Mariners, maybe the Giants, uh, they, they've got a chance to be the beneficiary of, of him uh, normalizing his numbers a little bit. He's not going to get all the way back to being a batting champion, but just a little bit of a positive uh, progression and not a regression, but a progression back to what his normal numbers are, I think will be a really welcome sign. And I think it's a, it's a under undervalued player in the market that I think Tim Anderson is going to be. We're chatting with John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. So we got some information from uh, manager John Schneider yesterday that says that it's pretty unlikely that we'll see Hanjun Ryu before the trade deadline comes around, which is, I think, a little worrisome in terms of just the idea of wanting to get a, an opportunity to see where he's at after Tommy John surgery and wanting to see him in the major leagues after he's been looking all right in AAA. So I wonder with that and with Manoa I'm still you know, trying to level out, um, if you think that that means the Blue Jays would be interested in adding starting pitching, whether it's a prolific name or not, just a little bit of a buffer um, with not knowing how Hanjin Ryu will look um, in the weeks to come. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, Ailish, that that's, that is one really intriguing path for the Jays to take. You know, they tried to do it last year with sort of a, a half measure with, with, with Mitch White coming in, and, and they weren't really sure what he was going to be able to offer. And it just it didn't work, obviously, in terms of being a, a real – impact starting pitcher. So that's where if I'm, if I'm a Jays, you know, I mentioned Michael Lorenzen, you got Jordan Montgomery in, in, in St. Louis, you got Jack Flaherty in St. Louis guys who I think would be 
potential starters for you if you need them, but are guys that are adaptable enough to be in the bullpen. And and I, I think that Lorenzen for me is you know someone I've I've watched a fair amount this season in, in Detroit. He's been a reliever before, and and he's a really good athlete. Obviously, he was a briefly a two way player there in Cincinnati, and, and a great teammate as well. I think Lorenzen with Toronto would be a great fit uh, because I think he could start. And if if all of a sudden things are going well with Ryu and Manoa then Michael could be back there in the bullpen. I mean, obviously he's a pending free agent, so he's going to want to start because that's the best thing for his value. But I, I think that he's someone that can pick up significant innings. He could be a really good bridge guy for you in, in the bullpen, which I think the Jays also need some help with. Um, so I, if I'm Toronto right now, it's it's sort of the, the, the complementary offensive guys like Anderson and then guys who are going to either be the bridge or help with the bridge, uh, like I think Lorenzen could. I, I think the Nationals are another really good trade fit uh, and candidate, I would say, a, a partner for the for the Jays. Uh, you've got Lane Thomas, who's played really well in the outfield. I think Lane could, could help out. You know, if you get Lane Thomas instead of Tim Anderson, then then Witt becomes more of a second baseman, and you and then you have Lane as a, a really good really good outfielder. He's been an excellent player this year for the Nationals. And the Nats have some relievers like Kyle Finnegan, too, who I think would really help uh, ease the burden on Jordan Romano. So uh, I think the Jays have uh, they have a number of needs that are moderate needs. They don't have a ton of glaring needs, but but they are needs. If, if they want to catch a team with all the energy and excitement that, that the Orioles have right now, uh, they've got to get better. And I think that's that's a path for them to to find a way to get better and, and to have a meaningfully better chance of advancing in the playoffs in 2023 than they did last year. John, do you consider Nate Pearson a trade chip? I, I do. I, I in in the right deal, yes. Um, but you know, he he can certainly help them in what he's doing right now. Uh, but I, I I do wonder, to your point. Is there a team out there that's that's looked at him and says, you know what, I think he can start, and and he's he clearly hasn't had that opportunity this year with the Jays. Is that still in his future? It might be, and and that's where uh, like Pittsburgh, for example, I'd be really curious to know how much Ben Sherrington and Steve Sanders, because of how well they know him from Toronto, how much they would. I have interest in him coming coming up to Pittsburgh. If that if there was ever a conversation about uh, one of the Pirates' arms, I, I I sort of doubt Mitch Keller would would be coming to Toronto. But that's that's my uh, I, I always say like the, the 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 scouts and the execs out there who know the player the best. How interested are they in him? And if they're interested in him, that tells you a lot about him having some positive upside. So even if it's not uh, the most natural trade fit, I would. Love to know how the Pirates feel about him, and and I, I do think there are probably some teams out there. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe the Tigers are one of them who would who would say, "Yeah, I'm willing to give him a chance to start right now to see what he could do." The White Sox are one more possibility. They're about to trade probably two of their starters. Uh, I, I think that whether it whether the Jays are dealing directly with the the White Sox on that starting conversation, you know, think about. Lance Lynn, just theoretically, Lance Lynn for a Nate Pearson. The the Jays would get a right now starter 
and the White Sox would get a future starter that, that if they believe that he can start. That, that sort of a transaction, I think, would have a lot of interest uh, and value there as we, we move towards August 1st. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and uh, credit to Jeff Blair, who uh, is the first that I heard uh, talking about Nate Pearson as a potential trade ship. It does make a lot of sense and maybe makes more sense now that Nate Pearson is spending some time in the minor league shoring up some things. Um you mentioned the Orioles for Shohei Otani. You mentioned, you know, maybe unconventional teams being in the running for Shohei Otani. And if the Orioles are, that means they are definitely big game hunting and they want to make something happen before the deadline. And of course, they have passed the Tampa Bay Rays, who looked like they were going to run away with the American League East throughout the first couple months of the season. So is there a counterpunch here that Tampa is going to land? What do you expect them to do at the deadline? Starting pitching. They need, whether it's, uh, whether it's Marcus Stroman, whether it's, Lucas Giolito, they they need to to add somebody, and Lorenzen's on their radar too. They when you look at their rotation, their their long term depth chart looks pretty good, but they've got a lot of guys who are hurt right now, and and even McClanahan has had some inconsistencies with health this season. So uh, they've got Glass now back, which is great, but I, I look at this raise rotation and say they need some immediate help if they're going to keep up with Baltimore. And and the funny thing is Baltimore's rotation isn't necessarily brand name in terms of people knowing all their guys, but Wells has been good. Bradish has been good. Uh, they've, they've got a, a pretty solid group there that's, that's getting even better. You know, Grayson Rodriguez was down then back up. Um, they Baltimore's just got a ton of energy and a lot of athleticism and a lot of really good ball players right now in that roster. And uh, I, I think all the momentum belongs to them. And if Tampa's going to catch them, I think they have to find a way to, to, to pitch a little bit more consistently in, in the rotation. Because this, this is now what happens, I think, when you've got a, a rotation of some unproven guys who are not necessarily going deep into games with Tampa. You know, the, the burden that you're placing on your bullpen eventually catches up with you. And I think that's part of what's happening right now for the Rays. And I, I believe it's going to continue happening, and that gap is going to widen between these two teams unless and until Tampa finds a way to, to get some innings. And that's where you know, Stroman gives you innings. Lorenzen can give you innings. Giolito this year has been pretty durable in terms of delivering innings. That That's the kind of guy that they need if they're going to make a serious run at catching Baltimore. But they're almost now to the point where – um, it's you need to make your move now because if if we're in the middle of August and you're seeing a, a four or a five game deficit, it it might be uh, it might be too late by then. Ooh, lots of intrigue um, coming in one week to the trade deadline. Blue Jays have a big opportunity to make some uh, impact on Shohei Otani's future yes. this weekend. It'll be all eyes on the Blue Jays and Shohei. I know the tickets on Friday are basically sold out already, so it'll be lots of good viewing uh, ahead. John, we appreciate you jumping on. We'll chat with you next week, and hopefully we'll have lots to unpack Blue Jays-related and league-wide. Yes, indeed. Ailish and Justin, my, my pleasure. And yeah, this is this is one of those weeks where, uh, to, to quote Pavarotti, Nessun Dorma, no one sleeps. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we, we, be, we began with T-Swift. We end with Luciano himself. Uh, that, that's go. a fun segment. Two legends. There you go. John Morosi, appreciate it. MLB Network Insider, um, big week ahead. And as we said, the Blue Jays have Shoei Otani and the Angels this weekend. Friday night, he's scheduled to pitch. And they can really influence what happens next with the potential best player to ever play the sport.
Yeah, I mean, we were joking about Rasmus Sandin and walking out of a practice facility, but let's say the Angels get swept by the Tigers this week. Mm-hmm. How much attention is going to be on Friday night if things go really poorly and they're all of a sudden out of it before they even play the Blue Jays? It'll be interesting. I wish I could get to one of those games this weekend, but I got a wedding out of town. You got to love wins. Over Shohei, unfortunately. <laughs> I think you might love him in a Blue Jays. I would also love possible. him. I would. I would. Uh, I would skip the wedding if it meant Shohei Ooh. would stay. Ooh. Ooh, that's tough. Hopefully they're not listening. Okay, it's time for Soda Chew. I'm brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. You won't be able to chew on this, literally. But Chris Versteeg. I mean, you might be able to. Actually. No, you can't. It's like illegal. Oh. You'll see why. Chris Versteeg, who I know is a friend of JD's a lot, goes yeah, on his I, podcast. I was going to say, like, JD's on vacation this he week. He missed something big. Can we, can we scoop him? We might need to scoop Chris Versteeg to talk about this chew. So, um, Fraser River in British Columbia is a massive, massive fishing spot to catch the large white sturgeon, which is, like, it's gross. They're disgusting. Uh, Why? Gargantuan-sized fish, like, shark whale size fish um hundreds of years old there's there's specific trips that you can take to go out and catch these fish but but i said something to chew on you can't physically chew on them because they have to be released like they're prehistoric really? fish you're wow. not allowed to it's like a le- truly illegal to take them out of the water even to take a photo with them anyway i'm gonna get into specifics of the law but nonetheless uh christopher steeg was on one of these fishing trips uh this past weekend and caught a record setting maybe a world record they're looking into it and verifying it wow of the largest untagged and recorded white sturgeon on rod and reel in the fraser river measuring at 138.58 inches by 55 inches that's the girth hundreds of years old this thing hundreds of pounds estimated almost 900 pounds if you look at the photos um, online, the thing it honestly gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's so spooky looking. Uh, but they held, they reeled this thing on um, in, and it is freaky stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, this happened just recently. Uh, Chris Versteeg, uh, a part of this story. Um, so very, very cool. But uh, it, it was called the Sturgeon Slayers Trip, charity yeah, trip. Yeah, I was Caught. seeing the boat. The Sturgeon Slayer. That is a, pretty cool. That is a badass the boat The thing name. is insane. Anyway, take a look online. Maybe we can get Chris on to ask him about it. But uh, Good for Versteeg. That's pretty cool. Have you seen the fish? And he's wearing the hat and shirt of oh, his yeah, clever yeah. rap. I was like, that's some good branding for uh, old Versteeg as well. That's have you good. seen the, uh, the photo? Uh, I did. When you're Just, looking at this? I, I, I don't know if I'm seeing the one you're seeing, but it's, it is looking prehistoric. It does look prehistoric. The thing it's is gross. pretty frightening looking. Anywho, congratulations to that. That is like a two-time Stanley Cup winner and catching a massive sturgeon. It's pretty hand in hand. There you go. Don't look it up if you're scared of things in the water that could eat you alive. That thing. Okay. okay, we got Charles Davis after the break. What a star-studded hour. John Morosi, Charles Davis, mm, just the best of friends. Uh, we'll have him on after. We just found out minutes ago that Saquon Barkley just signed a one-year $11 million contract. There's like a running back coalition going on right now. Yeah, did it work? Perfect timing to talk to Charles Davis after the break. And I don't know if you've been watching Quarterback on Netflix. Um, it is pretty cool. It's different. Um, obviously, Netflix getting into a lot of the sports doc stuff. Um Maybe he's got some learnings from Mahomes and Cousins and Marcus Mariota. 
so far in this series. Uh, Charles Davis, after the break, we will have Julia Kreutz and Matthew Kachuk to round out our show. So stay tuned for that on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports on 590. The fan football is right around the corner. Uh, today marks the official opening of training camps around the league. Um, already getting some look ahead at commentator assignments for week one. Oh, already ch- <laughs> planning a trip to Buffalo, are I'm we, Ailish waiting. Farfar? I'm waiting to find out which one of those trips that Charles Davis will be calling, but we mm. don't have that yet. Uh, but we do have Charles Davis, NFL and CBS color analyst, joining us this morning. How's it going, Charles? Going great. How about the two of you? I hope you're wonderful. And uh, yeah, wow, training camps, NFL, it's happening, it's real. Yeah, do you get a buzz when you hear the training camps around the corner and now it's today and things are happening, you might get some real news. We did get real news on Saquon Barkley, which we'll ask you about, but today is a special day. It is. I think it's much more of that that anticipation. You know, it's a little bit of a jolt depending on what you're doing. You know it's coming. You know the dates are there. But all of a sudden you start to hear it and you hear it from different places. And you talk to people in the NFL cities and they're like, yeah, training camp opens today. It opens tomorrow. You know, they put the pads on this day. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's no stopping it now. So whatever extra preparation I, I still need to get done, I better get on it. Yeah, I mean, I think, what, nine days before the Hall of Fame game, which is crazy. I know the Hall of Fame games played, like, a couple, like, a little bit in advance of the actual preseason routine schedule. Uh, But, yeah, the fact that we're going to be seeing some NFL football, albeit exhibition football, next week is pretty wild. Uh, Good thing that Saquon Barkley got Justin, Justin, don't let let Commissioner Goodell hear you say exhibition. We're going to make sure he did. Oh, he he doesn't like that word? it's one of the funny things, and it's been like that since Pete Rozelle was the commissioner. There, there, there was that, that edict, essentially, that you're not supposed to call you know, the preseason games exhibition. Okay. Because they were always like, well, exhibitions means they don't count. They, they do count. Well, let's be honest about it. If you're going to go see a preseason NFL game, if it's going to count, aren't the best players going to play? Well, mm-hmm. guess what? They're not playing. So in our minds, you know, I you know I do games and all that, so I'm going to call them preseason games. But anybody calls them exhibitions, are they really wrong? <laughs> they're, they're exhibitions for the people who are trying to find spots elsewhere in the league is if it's really what it comes down to because the best players aren't going to play in preseason. That's the way we do it nowadays. In the old days, they did. They played their way into shape. Heck, they played all the preseason games and the regular season games because they all had off-season jobs and they weren't working out. But not now. It's not like that. Uh, yeah, so, Roger, if you're listening, I promise to take next week game uh, super, 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 super seriously. I you're promise. Good, you're a good man, Justin. We'll spend the whole three hours yeah, talking about we're, it. We're going right? to tee that baby up uh, very seriously. Okay, so Saquon Barkley, serious about a one-year deal, $11 million yeah. uh, to uh, with the New York Giants. Uh, you know, a lot of conversation into the running back coalition, the running back revolt, whatever you mm. want to call it. Uh, how, how did we get to this contract with Saquon? Uh, has the, the recent discussion impacted these proceedings whatsoever? Where does this leave Saquon? Where does this leave the Giants? 
Yeah, I think we got there, Justin, because this is a Giants team that if we look back at last season and go back to preseason, and, you know, we're studying football, I'm putting no words in your mouth or Alish's mouth, but this is how I saw the Giants. They, they overachieved last year. They outplayed their roster. Because if you just looked at it as a roster going into the season, I don't think anyone pegged the Giants as a playoff team. And Brian Dayball worked his magic. You know, great job there. They bought in. They played. I think they played above what their what we, we what we would have assessed their talent. A big reason why they played above Saquon Barkley played to his talent and gave them a focal point to run their offense, to score points, to help their defense out to keep their game going. Remember, their quarterback, Daniel Jones, who just got a $40 million contract you know, per year or somewhere close to that, he threw 15 touchdown passes all last year. Now, is that all on him? No, didn't have a great receiving core, et cetera, et cetera. But it exemplifies what the Giants did well, which was turn around and make sure number 26 touched the football, where they handed it to him or threw it to him. So when they didn't reach the contract, and the number was what, around 13 million guys? Remember that one mm-hmm. that he turned down? And then when they couldn't reach it, they had to tag him. So then he said, I'm not going to play. Now he's signing for one that's a little bit above the tag, but not the 13. I think it's a recognition of both sides. This is the best deal I'm going to get. And, boy, I, really, I may have blown it by not taking the 13 mil. And if we're going to go and compete for a playoff spot again this year, we have to have Saquon Barkley play. Our roster still isn't good enough that we can let him sit out and be the team we want to be. I think it's a recognition of both sides. Do you think we'll see a trickle effect now that Saquon Barkley signs this morning and like some of the other guys that are like, all right, maybe we follow this lead and and see uh, if we can uh, attend training camps and get this season going? I think it's a great question, and it's going to be interesting for each guy to answer it Mm -hmm. because does Josh Jacobs feel like it's worth it to him to say, okay, I take the one-year deal, play to this level again, and I'm going to sign next year for bigger money? Or do they look at it and say, yeah, I may play for this one year, but guess what? I'll be right back in the same spot again. So I don't know if I want to do that as fast as Saquon did. Like him signing today, I had zero doubt that he would sign before the season. Mm -hmm. I have to admit I'm surprised that it happened today. And it's so funny because someone I'm absolutely crazy about is a huge Bills fan. And all she kept saying was, well, you know, with Saquon not signing with the Giants, he can come to the Bills. And I said, well, <laughs> they'd have to, there'd have to be an exchange of compensation to make that happen. But I like where your head you is. Dream. Could you imagine Saquon coming to the Bills and, mm-hmm. and teaming with Josh Allen? That would be, that'd be uh, phenomenal. So I love where she was going with it. It's just that you couldn't quite pull it off. It, it wasn't just simply, hey, I'm not playing for the Giants. I'm going to go play for the Bills. But that was that was a fun little little exchange. I got a kick out of that one and enjoyed it. And then I thought, boy, Josh Allen, Saquon Barkley. Remember, we talked about that a couple of years ago. I was talking like, hey, Saquon Barkley, things aren't going great. He looked great in Buffalo. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen now. <laughs> so, like, the bigger issue, I guess, if this is an issue, is that, you know, running backs feel like they're not paid what their value is to football and to their yeah. to the league itself and to their teams and to their coaches and to their quarterbacks and so on and so forth. 
Is there anything that the NFL can do to protect the position? Is there anything that the running backs could fight for to make sure that they're adequately compensated for the beatings that their bodies go through in order to be NFL running backs? Like, is there anything here that could change? Because it's clear that these guys want change, feel like they are shortchanged, feel like something could be done. But again, it's kind of that dime a dozen thing where it's like, hey, the next running back is going to give us as good or close to those contributions. And in order to save money, you just trim the fat at running back. Uh, Is there anything they can do to make it so that these guys are at least compensated for the short careers that they have uh, as lead backs? Without my answer sounding somewhat flip, because that's not my intention at all, the only thing I can see sitting here right now today is all running backs leave camps and no running backs join camps to fill their spots. Like you just say, full out, until everything changes, until we get adequate, you know, conversation we believe is right, until we find something that works, there will be not a single running back playing football in the NFL, period. Because we all know how these things work, right? And I think the last part of what you were talking about, Justin, is where where the crux of the matter is. This is a terrific running back over here. He had a big-time season. He doesn't play the next year. His replacement, his numbers are pretty close. Or they replace him with two, and the numbers are pretty close to what he gave the year before. And we're paying less money, and they last longer because they're not taking 25 carries a game. It's a hard, hard deal. I grew up where the running back was the predominant position. The, the running back was the superstar of the team. The running back was who was the number that we wore on our jerseys when we played backyard football. Not anymore. It's not like that now. It's A lot of it is what you expressed, Justin. This person played. He was really good. He didn't play this year. Someone else came in and gave us, gave us similar numbers. We see it all the time. Oh, yeah, we picked him in the sixth round. So our contract's even better. That's where it is. The game is quarterback-centric. It's not running back-centric. And it's unfortunate. And do we need the running backs? Yes. Do they make a difference? Check any playoff. Even if the running back won the 1,000-yard player, did Isaiah Pacheco make a huge difference in the second half of the Super Bowl? He did. LeGarrette won all those years with, with New England, right? Every year when New England won the Super Bowl, they had a running back in the playoffs that played really well if he didn't play super well in the regular season. Remember when Corey Dillon was there, Antoine Smith, they always had a player that played well in the playoffs. So the running back means something, but not the way it did when we were growing, when I was growing up, because I'm, I'm older than you guys. And the game runs through the quarterback, and it runs from the quarterback to the wide receiver. So the running back falls way down on the pecking order. Yeah, there's a reason why the Netflix special is quarterback and not running back. It could be wide receiver. I think I'd watch running back too, uh, but for now it's quarterback with Mahomes and Cousin and Mariota. Uh, Have you watched any of the Netflix uh, series? Did you? Okay, so I did did it in two sittings. I don't know about you guys. Have you seen it all? Have you watched any of them? Or you guys? Uh, I've watched a couple episodes. A few episodes in for sure. I know that Kirk Cousins is a maniac, so I'm that far in. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I can't wait to talk to you both when you're done watching it to get the overall impression Mm -hmm. because I also don't want to influence anything coming up. But I watched it in two sittings. I think I watched five the first time, three the second. Um, And I loved how when you look back on it, you have the superstar. That was Mahomes. 
You have the the veteran who's had big numbers but not the postseason success, and you're just wondering, and and, and you get the, the most solid guy you're ever going to get in Kirk Cousins. And then you get Marcus Mariota, who was supposed to be a superstar, didn't reach those heights, and is getting one more opportunity to be a starter in the league. And I think I've told you guys before, my college football days, he by far is the number one young man that I ever covered Mm -hmm. that that I have that affection for. So I really enjoyed going into this series and watching it. I can't wait to get your overall impressions as you go because you get to see them 24-7 in a sense. You get a 360 view of them, not just as quarterbacks, but, you know, all three are married, all three in different positions. You had two two wives during this special that were pregnant Mm -hmm. and were going to give birth during the season. Yet another wife, they've got their two kids already. You can see that that unit is a tight, that tight unit within the Cousins family. So I really enjoyed watching that part of it as well and learning about them more as people. And I, I thought that, you know, just, just getting the different viewpoints from other people about them was fun to watch as well. Yeah, from one documentary expose to another Hard Knocks um covering the Jets, whether they're forcing themselves yeah. on them or not. Um, buzz about <laughs> Rodgers looking really good with Garrett Wilson. There's something uh, tangible out of the last couple of weeks of coverage. Yeah. Um, I wonder about your thoughts on that little connection, but also how this might affect Zach Wilson's development. Because if Rodgers decides to stay just for one year and Zach Wilson doesn't get to play, or Rodgers decides he wants yeah. to stay for a long time, like well, where does Zach Wilson play and all that? But mostly about this relationship that sounds like it's blossoming with Garrett Wilson. Yeah, and that, that just tells you about Garrett Wilson as a youngster figuring it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get connected with my quarterback, you know. If my quarterback goes on vacation, I'm going to ask if I can go. You know, I mean, <laughs> hey, can I just be with you, be around you? Because Garrett Wilson wants to be great. Think of the season he had last year with three different quarterbacks throwing him the football. As a rookie, has an innate toughness that people don't see. I do believe that basketball background and how he sees the game and how he gets himself open does come into play a little bit. But this guy is a super talent, but he's very intelligent. And because he wants to be great, he's going to do what he has to do to learn his new quarterback. That means being around for every sling and arrow that comes his way. That means being around for when Aaron gives him that look that the Green Bay receivers always talked about if things don't go quite right. He wants to get out all the kinks while he can. He wants to make the mistakes right now so that when they get to the regular season, it's just production, production, production. And I think on the flip side, Aaron Rodgers recognizes how great this youngster could be. You know, he's getting not a raw rookie in his first year, but a guy, hey, okay, you just have to learn me. I've seen the talent. Aaron turns on film and sees how great Garrett Wilson can be. So that gives them that great quarterback, wide receiver one that starts things to open up the rest of the offense. Flipping over to Zach Wilson, it's entirely up to Zach Wilson, guys. It is entirely up to him. And what I mean by that is, will he take this opportunity to learn how to be a pro? Will he take this opportunity to, to understand what it's going to take for him to get better, to, to, to fix his footwork, to polish up his habits, to start to think about being a pro much more than just being, hey, I'm the guy you pick second and I create and I do this and I do that. All of those things have to go into it. All I come back to last year was that game in New England. Where did, what did they gain, like 10 yards in the second half? And I'm being a little bit facetious. You remember how bad it was. Yet it took a crazy play at the end for New England to beat them. They were still in it because their defense was so good. And he had that lousy press conference afterwards. 
you know, where, hey, were you just, no, it wasn't me. And his father texting him and saying, hey, man, do you have any idea how you're coming across in these pressers? Mm. That's the Zach Wilson that has to, has to click into place. doesn't matter whether it's a year or two. He's young. That, that part's not the issue. Will he accept that challenge? Or will he sit there and go, well, I should be playing. You know, I should be playing, and, and I'm fine as I am. If he is, then nothing good is going to come out of this. But we'll get lots of behind the scenes, uh, hopefully, with Hard Knocks getting right in there and asking the tough questions or exposing kind of the behind the scenes. Uh, Charles, we appreciate you jumping on this morning. Enjoy the start of uh, training camps and camps opening. And soon we'll be talking about real football. It'll be great. Yeah, it certainly will be. And, and take this with you guys. Tim Boyle got signed by the Giants as a third quarterback. Hmm. Tim Boyle's a longtime backup of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. If Zach Wilson doesn't accept the challenge, who do you think the Jets would turn to in a playoff situation if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt for a short amount of time? Seems like they've already had their contingency plan ready to go. They've got, they've got their contingency plan ready to go. He knows the offense. He, he was there with Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett. He knows how things flow. There will be a trust factor there between Aaron, between the offensive coordinator, knowing Tim Boyle. It's entirely up to Zach Wilson, mm-hmm. guys. He's got to figure this out, and he better figure it out fast. All right, lots to keep an eye on, Charles. Uh, appreciate you coming on this morning, and we will chat uh, in a couple weeks. Yes, look forward to it. Take care, guys. Have fun. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. That's Charles Davis, NFL and CBS color analyst. That's the other TB12, Tim Boyle. <laughs> yeah. If you're TV, you can't wear 12. You wore no. 12 with the with the Detroit Lions. Like, you can't. Did I ever tell you I have a friend whose name is Tom Brady? Like, no. Legitimately, his name is Tom Brady. That's no. not a nickname. It What's seems... Tom Brady's vibe? What's he, what he's does great. he do? What he's, does he do? He's a farmer. I want to know everything about him. Tom Brady the farmer? Yeah. We don't need to get into Tom Brady's life. But... Does he, like, flex that he's no, Tom he's Brady? No, he's great. No, I mean, his real name is Tom Brady. Can he have fun with it? <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Okay. But, like, imagine you meet someone in a professional setting. And it's like, what does he farm? Don't worry about it. Just like, tell me what he farms. No, and not, it's in private. All right. <laughs> People will be Googling him. <laughs> um, all right. We would be giving away concert tickets all month long as part of Bud's Stage Summer Concert Series giveaway. Today, we've got another pair of tickets for Blue Rodeo playing at Bud's Stage on August 26th with special guests Wild Rivers and Rose Cousins. So, to enter, all you have to do is text the code word LOST TOGETHER. To 59590. Again, that's lost together, 59590. There's a space between lost and together, folks. 59590. If you don't win with us, be sure to secure your tickets at ticketmaster.ca. Be sure to tune in tomorrow as we're giving away tickets for Beck and Phoenix. Just a wide range of concert tickets uh, here on the Fan Morning Show. So that's Bud Stage, August 26th, Blue Rodeo, lost together. Beck is a throwback. Yeah, you like Beck? I don't know. If, uh, you know, they're fine. He's fine. It's a guy, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's a guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I meant. I'm trying to remember a song. Isn't it short skirt, long jacket, or something like that? Is Beck? I I can tell you that's not a a, a popular playlist of mine. No, Beck. I wouldn't uh, imagine. But I like a little blue rodeo. Though. Blue rodeo. Yes. Yeah, I like definitely a little blue rodeo. in the four far rotation. I do like some blue rodeo. I'm sure we'll come back after the break with some of that. We have a. Final hour here on the Fan Morning Show. Julia Kreutz will join us, Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. The Jay Jackson legacy game last night. Maybe the right decision to demote Pearson instead of him. Um, Ryu not starting before the trade deadline. So how that's going to affect what the Jays might be looking forward to adding in a week. And then Matthew Kachuk will wrap up our show 
Florida Panthers forward and Hart Trophy finalist who obviously had the uh, broken sternum, which is mm-hmm. spooky. Um, I'm, gives me the same chills as that sturgeon. And his brother's <laughs> wedding was just a couple weeks back. And I saw some photos on social media. It looked like they all had a really very fun time, didn't it? It did time, look like they had it? a good time. And before I am corrected, Beck did not sing that song. Oh. I take that back. Oh. We'll do some Beck research take in the break. that back. Nice. Yeah, sorry. I had to do it. Julia Croyd's after the break on the Fan Morning Show. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan.